The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Murray. And Aaron, week four of the college football season is in the books. And if you follow us on social media, at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram, you can keep up with us throughout every single week and weekend as we keep you up to date on what is going on in the world of college football. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11 on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Drew Butler 13 and what a weekend it was. Should we talk about college football, Aaron? Should we talk about you taking your engagement pictures in Athens on Sunday or should we focus on what's important and discuss Tiger Woods winning the tour championship in Atlanta, Georgia? Is he back? You were there. I you was were there. there, weren't you? I was there. It was awesome. East Lake was for all for all listening. Drew Drew decides not to invite me on Sunday <laughs> to go watch Tiger. Just just selfish. I mean, I only live probably twenty minutes away from East Lake. I mean, I probably could have driven my bike over there, but so whatever. Tuesday, I was you and I, I were together, and I asked you specifically, "What are you doing on Sunday?" And you told me that you would be in Athens because you and Sharon were taking your engagement picture. So I politely See, said, Drew, I'm lear- "Oh wow, I'm, that'll I'm be fun." I didn't even want to smart I, man. I didn't even want to make you feel bad and let you know that I was inviting you to the tour championship. But also, who could have expected hey. Tiger to blow everybody out in dominating fashion like it was 2003? Well, first off, I'm slowly learning. Happy wife, happy life. Yes, if Sharon. If Sharon wants to take some engagement photos. On Sunday, then we're gonna take some engagement photos on Sunday, <laughs> and, and, and we got back at probably two thirty, which was perfect. And we just posted up on the couch the rest of the day and watched golf, which was an, an amazing way to spend a Sunday. Um, wish I could have been out there though, but holy smokes, just how dominant was he? I mean, the excitement, the fans. I mean, we were just Sharon's never really watched golf before. So he was just dying laughing on eighteen when he's rolling up to the green. And there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people swarming and following him. The mob of people. Oh, it was like three hundred deep. Yeah, it was yeah, just insane. Want to see, just want to see greatness. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I almost got a little emotional over here myself. It's it's good to see Tiger back. I mean, it makes the game so much more exciting. More people are going to tune in, and uh, I just hope the other players realize that. I love what Mickelson said. In years past, he said, I don't care if the focus is on Tiger. I mean, what? Wh- why do I care? It's just a bigger paycheck 
for me at the end Absolutely, of the day. Absolutely, dude. Hopefully the rest of these guys don't get too upset because they haven't seen this Tiger, this side of Tiger, this greatness before. And they're saying, yes, I'm not getting the bigger roar. Yes, everyone's focused on Tiger. But more fans – more views, which means more endorsements, which means more money in my pocket. Oh, dude, it was like witnessing history yesterday in person. I mean, it was palpable. You could feel it. The buzz was real. I was sitting on 18 green when Justin Rose bogeyed 16. That put Tiger Woods in the lead for the FedEx Cup. People were chanting Tiger. It was just, it was unbelievable. So cool to witness. And if you go to my Instagram, at DrewButler13, you can see the vantage point I had of the fans swarming in on him, uh, walking down 18 fairway when Rory was just looking at Tiger laughing. So awesome. Such a cool, special day. And like you said, it's just great for the game of golf. Now the focus turns next week to the Ryder Cup. Obviously, the American team heading to Paris to take on Team Europe. Probably my favorite golf event. Obviously, it happens once every two years. So, a lot of good stuff in the game of golf going on. Speaking of good stuff, it was a great week for the SEC, I would say. Not a great week for the ACC. We're going to continue to talk about the games that we previewed last Thursday. And then also, as per usual... We will give you the Davey O'Brien Award, Great Eight Quarterbacks of the Week, and the Ray Guy Award, Raise Eight Punters of the Week, a little bit later on in the show. But let's start with what happened at 3.30 on SEC CBS last weekend. Alabama continues to keep it rolling, Aaron. They beat number 22 Texas A&M 45-23. They win, but they didn't cover so I think Nick Saban has to go back to the drawing board, maybe bench to a Tunga Vailoa next week. It's just simply not good enough, right, Aaron? I mean, this is crazy what's going on. It, it's crazy. I mean, if you can only beat another top 25 team by 22 points, you're, just, you're not doing it right <laughs> it's just if you're wild. Alabama. I mean, the game started, and it was just comical. Obviously, Kellen Mond trying to make a play, throws an interception, then turn around. I don't know uh, what that play. was, by the way. That was a horrible decision by him. And he's been pretty good. I mean, that was his first pick of the season. Then next play, too, it comes back and just launches a beautiful rope, 30-yard, whatever it was, 25, 35-yard touchdown. Um, the next play, and I'm just like, this is this is going to get out of hand pretty fast. But, I listen, A&M made some moves offensively, look good at times, uh, but there's just – there's no weakness on this Alabama team. You can't find any any – Anywhere that you can really exploit defensively, offensively, uh, and then Tua, once again, four touchdowns, no picks. Even Jalen came in there, was three for three for 28 yards. There's nothing you can do. I mean, a and I, I still am on the A&M train, though, of Jimbo Fisher has his team heading in the right direction. For I mean, sure. Going back, they played Clemson extremely tough. And like I said, I, I think they had moments of playing really well versus Alabama team. More on the offense side of the football, defensive side, I think one's going to struggle against Alabama's offense. But offensively for A&M, you saw moments where those guys look pretty darn good. So that was good to see for A&M. No question. Somebody put it really well this past weekend. I forget who it was, but they said Alabama is an SEC defense paired with a Big 12 offense. I had never heard it put that way, but it makes a ton of sense. That offense is just so efficient. And I know they didn't run the ball as dominant as probably a lot of Alabama fans would want to see. But 
the way Tua Tungavailoa passes with accuracy, Aaron, on those short to intermediate throws specifically, and then when he pushes it outside the numbers, I mean, these receivers are running in stride. The ball is hitting them right in the face mask. He is playing at a very, very high level, and they just simply don't need to run the ball that much, especially when he can extend the play. He's on fire, and the one thing that I would ask you as a quarterback is this. You see him make those throws, and he's got really good pace on the ball. Can he push it downfield long? Like, Can he really throw that ball? Like, I mean, I wouldn't compare him to Matthew Stafford because Matthew's got one of the strongest arms in the NFL, but when I watch him throw, I just don't see that like breathtaking arm strength. Is that correct, or is he just not really open it up that much? No, I mean, you, you do. I, listen, Go back to the national championship game. That pass to win it True. was an absolute rope. And, and Gary Danielson was in it during the game on Sunday uh, when he was comparing that throw to the first touchdown pass versus A&M. And the fact that the ball traveled about 40, 45 yards and never got above 25 feet in the air. I mean, that is an absolute rope. Yeah, yes, it's not Matthew Stafford and uh, in, in the elite of the elite pass arm strength, but there's no doubt that Tua can't make every throw possible from the deep outs to the go balls to the post, post corners. He has enough juice in the cannon to make it and push the ball vertically down the football field. Like I said, is it the elite? No. Is it maybe a couple grades or a grade below that? I, I think so. There, there's no question in my mind that he can't make the NFL type throws. And I think he's done everything to prove that going forward. And I think for him, it's more of the anticipation which is impressive, his ability to get through his reads, the little things where young quarterbacks, especially in college, get so fixated on my number one receiver and then maybe get down to my check down. You see his progression, one to two to three, and then getting down to his receivers, the smoothness in the pocket, the calm with his feet, and then the ability to use his eyes to manipulate defenses. It's awesome. I mean, this he's a complete quarterback. Would we love him to have Stafford's arm? Of course, everyone would love to have Stafford's arm, but he has all the small tools that you want. You're definitely right. And uh, Alabama just playing on another level right now through four games, Aaron. I thought it was crazy when Kirk Herbstreet said this offense can score 45 to 50 points per game with Tua Tungavaloa as the quarterback. And um, I'll shut up because <laughs> through four games, he is right on par with that prediction. But it's going to take something perfect to beat Alabama, really, just to compete with them. You're going to need a lot of turnovers. You might need some injuries on the Crimson Tide side. Through four games, this is by far and away the best team in college football. It's going to be fun to watch them continue to dominate throughout the season. Another great game, Aaron, that took place this past weekend was the 8 p.m. game on ABC. Stanford stormed back and beats Oregon in Autzen Stadium 38-31 to in overtime. This was a crazy ending, and there was some horrible situational football coaching at the end by Oregon. You were high on Justin Herbert. Oregon was up 24-7 to half, but my boy K.J. Costello, the Stanford quarterback, a proven winner came back, and uh, Bryce Love helped the Cardinal get a big-time victory on the road. You can't tell me, though, that you are not just googly-eyed over Justin Herbert. When <laughs> He's he real deal. I mean, he really is. He is. When you're that big, can run, and then his accuracy throwing the football, I mean, holy smokes. I mean, he, I think he impressed. Everyone knew how good he was, but 
the fact that he finally had an opportunity to get on center stage, and, and that's a tough thing with, with these West Coast teams. A lot of this East Coast, the, the, the Heisman people or the people reigning the teams don't get to see these games over and over. But people with the lack of really good games this weekend, this was really, in my opinion, the big game. And it lived up to the hype. I mean, what a heck of a football game. But going back to situational football, obviously Oregon was up 24-7. They had a chance to go in there and score a touchdown. Uh, the ruling on the field was the running back was out of bounds at the inch yard line. Yes. And, and the thing that I hate and I think everyone hates is you're at the inch yard line, you're at the one yard line, whatever it is, and you get into the shotgun. You're pretty much backing up five yards. You have a six five just doesn't make sense. Two hundred and forty five pound quarterback get under center and do a QB sneak, game's over. It's thirty you score a touchdown right there, which you should. It's thirty one seven, game's over. Instead, over. snap goes over the quarterback's head, Stanford picks it up, returns it for a ninety nine yard touchdown. And all of a sudden, Stanford has momentum. It's instead of being thirty-one to seven, it's twenty-four to ten. And then Stanford scores again and again. And then Oregon fumbles the ball late on a second and two, gives Stanford the ability to go down there and kick a field goal to put it in the overtime. Really, this game shouldn't have been close. I mean, Oregon dominated no. this game the entire first three quarters and really should have won the game. You know, you and I were talking last week about the type of brand of football that Stanford plays and how we both didn't think that they had the ability to pull away through game. Like Oregon looked to be doing as 24 seven, but just with saying that goes to say, I was really surprised that they were able to storm back from being down 24-7 at half. Obviously, they had a ton of help by Oregon not making the smartest decisions coaching and execution-wise. We all know what Stanford's about, but I was actually really surprised with Mario Cristobal's Oregon Ducks football team. And your boy Justin Herbert, he is very, very good at football. So I wonder if Oregon will be able to hopefully compete throughout the season to maybe push for that Pac-12 North title to get into the Pac-12 championship game. But we'll see. Stanford looks like a legitimate top 10 football team. Big time win for the Cardinal on the road. All right. There was some really good quarterback play in those first two games that we just reviewed, Aaron. And I think some of those guys might be up for a little recognition this week. What do you got for the Davey O'Brien grade eight quarterbacks of the week? Yeah, we got two of those from those games in there. Obviously, Tua Tungavaloa. You just have to keep put him in this list. I mean, if he keeps completing passes the way he is. No question. Finally, though, he did not convert third down. So I don't know why they put him on the list. He's not 100% third down. <laughs> kind of shocking to me that he's on the grade eight list for the week. But no, no. Tua, Tua somehow made it once again. Uh, and then AJ Costello from Stanford. Great end of the game. You don't think Stanford, their ability to pass the football, they would able to be able to come back from a 24 to seven deficit, but he's shown them that yes, we have Bryce Love, but we can push the football down the field vertically, and we do have a pass game here at Sanford as well. So he's on the list. David Blau from Purdue had a phenomenal game. Ian Book, Notre Dame. Does Notre Dame have a new quarterback? Wow. I think so. Had a phenomenal game. Alan Bowman, Texas Tech. They had a huge win. Sam Ellinger, Texas, another big win versus TCU. Mitchell Gogney. Gognagni. Yeah, I'm butchering that one from Toledo. (laughs) I apologize for butchering your name. I will see. I will get proper pronunciation if you do win this at the end of the week. 
and then Blake LaRussa from oh, Old Dominion. Yes. Old Dominion, man. Back wow. to quarterback, taking Virginia. I want to know who scheduled this game first off. Okay, Why so was this I game saw this. I Virginia saw this. And, and first off, congrats to those eight quarterbacks. Your Davey O'Brien Award, a great eight quarterbacks of the week for week four. But what happened, Aaron, is that Old Dominion used to have a football team that went away. I think they got rid of football for a number yep. of years, and it just recently came back. And I believe this was a historical matchup, if I'm not mistaken. And Virginia Tech had historically played home and home with Old Dominion, you know, kind of just helping out another in-state school. This would be a big one for Old Dominion, X, Y, Z. When the football team was renewed at Old Dominion, Virginia Tech said, you know what, we'll do good by our previous commitments and we'll continue to do this home-and-home series. So there's your story. Obviously, Virginia Tech's quarterback got hurt in the second half, but no excuse for their defense to allow 49 points to Old Dominion and lose by 14. Shout-out Blake LaRussa, quarterback of Old Dominion, for most certainly the biggest win in school history. Yeah, are you kidding me, Virginia Tech? Defensively, that's just that's embarrassing. It's crazy. Go out for a team that's only been um, this program has only been around for you know right around ten years to go and lose that game. Sometimes you just you, you can't fall asleep in preparation during the week. I mean, that's why that's what makes college f- football so special. These upsets, and you got to focus, whether it's in conference, out of conference. Uh, now that just completely screwed up your entire season. I mean, you're rolling. Virginia Tech, top oh, 15 yeah. team. They're going in the right direction offensively, defensively. Obviously had that huge momentum win the first week against Florida State, even though Florida State has been nothing special so far this season. Still a big, big win for them. Uh, and an ACC that's besides Clemson's kind of open right now for that number two, number three spot. Uh, and that's an unfortunate loss for that program. But good, good job for Old Dominion pulling it out. Big win for Old Dominion. Virginia Tech's defense, not great, but somebody on Virginia Tech was rather great, and that leads me to raise eight. Right now I'm going to tell you the top eight punters of week four for the Ray Guy Award, and we'll start with Oscar Bradburn from Virginia Tech. He tried to help out that defense as much as he could, but obviously it wasn't enough. Cody Grace from Arkansas State. Jack Fox from Rice, Jake Bailey from Stanford, Sterling Hoffrichter from Syracuse, Tommy Townsend from Florida, Wade Lees from Maryland, and Zach Siner from Oklahoma State. So there are your Rays 8, Ray Guy Award, top punters of the week. All right, let's round this thing up. Let's touch on some more SEC games. Georgia went into Columbia, Missouri last weekend and beat the Tigers 43-29. to If you talk to anybody involved or a fan of that Georgia team, they will tell you it was sloppy. They will tell you it wasn't pretty. But I think most people will probably be happy, Aaron, that Georgia fans are able to complain over 14-point conference road victories. Yeah, that's a good problem to have if you're winning games on the road. Um but let's talk about because everyone wants to talk about Drew Locke, Drew Locke, Drew Locke. What what did you think? Because I'm still I'm still not sold on Drew Locke. I know he's going against a tough defense, but you're at home, crowds on your side. Uh, I know there was some problems offensively with turnovers, with a drop pass that was an interception. We saw that, and then the fumble uh, return for a touchdown early in the game as well. But overall, just not. Yes, he's big. 
yes, he is a strong arm, but uh, is he a number one pick in the draft? I, I'm not. I take I take Herbert over Oregon. Over yeah, I mean, any day. Look, I right mean, now he, he I would. didn't even throw fifty percent. He was twenty three of forty eight, two hundred and twenty one yards. That's his yards. big issue. He's not a very accurate quarterback. No touchdowns. One interception. I mean, his QB rating was twenty six and a half. On the flip side, Jake Fromm, who didn't have one of his best days, was thirteen to twenty three for two hundred and six yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. His QBR was seventy eight, so three times better than Drew Locke. And, and you mentioned it. I mean, it, it wasn't the best showing, but again, I've never been the biggest Drew Locke fan. As much as the media will try to tell you that he is a bona fide first round draft pick, which he very well may be, I just don't see him as an absolute game breaker, especially against top defenses. So Missouri struggled offensively against Georgia. I mean, this game was twenty to seven at half. They did come out in the third quarter and score fifteen points, but Georgia's defense and special teams really were the X factor in this football game. They had a block punt return for a touchdown. They had a strip fumble return for a touchdown. They were able to get off the field plenty of times, forcing Missouri into three and outs. But look, this is football. Every week is not going to be a 40-point victory unless, of course, you're Alabama, especially on the road. So do not get upset over a 14-point road victory. And do not get upset if offense has a lackluster day and your defense and special teams Pick up the slack. That is what is supposed to happen. Special teams is 33% of the team. So let them make plays. Let them score touchdowns. And let the defense continue to try to force turnovers and put some extra points on the board. So, look, here's the good thing. Georgia's 4-0. They're 2-0 in the SEC. And they've got vaunted powerhouse Tennessee Volunteers coming into Athens next week. So I can guarantee you Kirby Smart was not happy with how his team performed last week, especially with Jeremiah Holloman dropping the football before the goal line. What the hell is going on? Fix it. It's not cool. It's not efficient. It doesn't work. I don't understand. Listen, if I'm Kirby, I'm telling I'm telling every player you hand the ball to the if you're not if you don't score and hand the ball to the referee. You have 5:30 run every Monday morning for two weeks. Seriously, that's it right there. That's how you break it. You tell them right now. You hand the ball to the referee every time you score until we get this fixed because that could cost you a game. I mean, that's that's huge. No, We've it seen is. it two weeks in a row now. I mean, you can't lose points on the road for something so stupid. So that would be if I'm if I'm Kirby. That's my rule. Hand it to the ref. Come over, celebrate afterwards, but the ball better be in the ref's hand. The ball better not touch the ground when you cross the pylon. No, I totally agree. Um, And one guy who probably wouldn't do that is Elijah Holyfield. He had a great game. I thought DeAndre Swift performed well also. I would like to see Georgia kind of run in between the tackles a bit more. But look, you can't complain when you run for 185 yards as a team. They didn't fumble. They limited the turnovers, and they get out with a big victory. I mean, they took care of business. It's as simple as that. And that back shoulder throw that Jake Fromm has dialed in, man, Mm. that is so hard to defend. Honestly, what do you do as a defender, Aaron? I mean, he is throwing it right on point. These receivers are going up to get it. Well, and and they're big. The the thing is, they're big. They're big receivers too, and that's the issue. When you have a six three, six four receiver going against a five eleven cornerback. 
And, and, and the, the, the way to perfect the back shoulder is to make sure the receiver understands don't anticipate it. Yes, it's in the back of your mind. You understand this cornerback's hip for hip or even the cornerback's a little bit ahead. In my mind, I know Jake's going to throw this back shoulder to me. But as soon as I start to slow up or even turn my head, that's when the DB is going to turn and try to make a play as well. So run full speed, don't slow up, and then react to the football once it is in the air. And that's what the, these receivers do. Yes, the ball is perfectly thrown by Jake Fromm, but the receivers and their ability to keep the DBs moving down the football field is just as critical as an accurate pass. So good job both ways as a receiver and a quarterback. And they do it to perfection. But like I said, when you have six, three, six, four receivers, big body guys, um, it, it definitely makes that throw a little bit easier. And they're doing it to perfection right now. He is certainly doing it to perfection. And it's awesome to see those guys catch and run and extend those plays for long touchdown plays. So, Good job by Georgia. They beat Missouri 43-29. to Let's touch on a few more games to round this thing out. Aaron, a team that you're high on, Kentucky, a team that you picked, had Mississippi State come into Lexington, the number 14-ranked Bulldogs, and they smoked them. Kentucky wins 28-7. to Benny Snell, who you have stated as one of the best running backs in the SEC, if not the best, lived up to the height. 25 carries, 165 yards, four tutters that is mm. a day and kentucky looks to be maybe the second best team in the sec east yeah i would put them as the number two team in the sec east right now it's going to be interesting to see when kentucky does play south carolina because those two teams seem like they're battling it out for that spot behind georgia and, and they look great i mean to be able to shut down mississippi state's offense uh, the run game, they only had 56 yards rushing. Nick, Nick Fitzgerald, 16 of 32, 145 yards, and an INT. And, and this is another quarterback, and, and I feel like I'm just slamming these quarterbacks this morning, but that's another quarterback that I'm not sold on. I know the NFL, they look at guys like Locke, they look like at Fitzgerald, and maybe I'm a little salty because I'm only 6'1", and these guys are 6'5", and they're going <laughs> to show up They're gonna show up to the combine and you know, be walking down the stage and all these scouts are going to be like, oh, my goodness, look at this guy. He's beautiful. Turn on the tape. Turn on the tape. Absolutely. And tell me, are these guys first-round draft picks, second-round draft picks? I'm not sold on Fitzgerald as an accurate quarterback down the football field. Is he a good college football player? Yes. I, I think he is. His The dynamic of him throwing the ball uh, as an average passer and then his ability to run the football. But he's not elite as a passer going forward at that next level. But Kentucky, man, both sides of the football. Terry Wilson played Terry Wilson. pretty well. Not like we've seen him the past couple of games pr- uh, prior to this one, but good enough to win. But when you can get Benny Snell rolling and his production over six yards a carry and four touchdowns, you're going to win a lot of football games. Defense and running the football in the SEC is still the way to win. No question. That's football. And, and, they're, and they're doing it right now. And, and Kentucky looks very, very good. And, and like you said, like I said, I think this team could be the number two team behind Georgia in the East uh, going forward. How about this? Kentucky is unbeaten in 2-0 in the SEC for the first time since 1977, and they're ranked, Aaron. The last time the Wildcats were ranked was November of 2007. Wow. Kentucky, now you're a number 17 team in the nation, and it seems like they could be the number two team in the SEC East, another game that was on last weekend. Florida heads to Rocky Top, and they whooped 
up on the Vols. They beat them 47-21. to This game was ugly. Tennessee looked completely lost. Jeremy Pruitt is in a world of hurt on Rocky Top. This team is in shambles, and I just have to give a special shout-out to Paul Feinbaum, who gave you such a hard time and attacked you personally and professionally when you said you had questions about Jeremy Pruitt's leadership ability and his ability to be a CEO for a football team in the SEC. Through four weeks, Aaron, you are spot on, and Feinbaum is dead-ass wrong. So good on you, my man. And Dan Mullen got a pretty big victory against a dismal Tennessee team. Yeah, I want to talk about an ugly game with just turnovers. And, and that, we talked about it. This was not going to be a pretty football game with two teams that traditionally are very good in the SEC. I thought Garantano, who played well the first few games of the season, would play better. And he looked awful versus Florida defense. And then Felipe Franks, this offense looks to be slowly on top of a a turtle pace right now. I'm not talking about they're sprinting forward. This is not, you know, full speed ahead, slowly inch by inch. They're slowly creeping up to being better, not good, but better offensively. Listen, Tennessee, it's loud. It's noisy. He went in there, had a pretty good day throwing three touchdowns. They ran the football better, got 201 yards on the ground, but the defense dominated, which they should against a very, uh, average Tennessee offense, but that's a big win for Dan Mullen. That is, big that time. is a yeah, great course to get to three and one, to win a game on the road in the sec. That's a heck of a ball game for Florida Gators. And that's, that's momentum moving forward for this football team. I know. I think, and I'm gonna have to go back and listen to Thursday's podcast, but I think that I picked Tennessee because I figured that maybe just maybe their defense could step up against Florida's not so great offense, home crowd, Maybe a hallmark victory for Jeremy Pruitt, and oh, hey, look, I was wrong. Tennessee, Tennessee, right now. You want they're two and two. What I said, they're going to be two and six by the middle of the oh season. Oh my god! Next four games at, at Georgia, Georgia, at Auburn, at Auburn Bama. Alabama, at South Carolina. So that's that's. Let's just say they're two and six. They play Charleston. I think that's Charleston. Yeah. Hopefully. They win that game, three and six. Then they play Kentucky. Then they play Missouri. Then they play at Bandy. I mean, this team is. Gonna be three and nine, maybe four and eight. But Paul Feinbaum take, I, went after I, you I after take, you said you had questions I would about take, Jerry. I would, obviously, we take Kentucky versus Tennessee right now, and, and honestly, the way Vandy's playing, I would take Vandy over Kentucky. Oh, 100 percent, absolutely. Or Vandy over Vandy over Tennessee. Excuse me, I would take Vandy over Tennessee. No, I mean you have to. This is not a good football team, and if anybody worth their salt plays halfway decent, they'll have a great chance. To beat them. So Tennessee is officially on the struggle bus. They get pounded by Florida at home, 47 to 21. Last game. Let's talk about this one quickly. South Carolina went to Vanderbilt in Nashville and they pulled away from the Commodores, Aaron. I think this one may have surprised you. The Gamecocks beat up on Vandy 37 to 14. Kyle Shermer, not exactly the best game. 18 to 38, 180 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. I'm not sold on Vanderbilt. I, I don't know how you could sell me on Vanderbilt, but look, they came back late last week, tried to compete with Notre Dame. People were like, are they for real? Short answer, no. They just let up forty, almost 40 points by South Carolina. Yeah, and, and South Carolina obviously benefiting from 
the week off with the hurricane last week, had two weeks to fully game plan for Vanderbilt, get their mind right. And, and they went out there and executed on, on both sides of the football. I'm with you, though. I don't know where you're getting this from. I had, I had South Carolina win this game. And Did you pick South Carolina? Yeah, I picked South Carolina covering the spread here. They're just – they're Vandy's an okay football team. They're still middle of the pack, a little bit below middle of the pack in the SEC. And I agree, people are just super excited about the way they went out there and played Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Um, but that was when Winbush was the quarterback, too, of Notre Dame a couple weeks ago, and that offense was struggling to find their identity for the fighting Irish. Uh, South Carolina definitely not trying to find their, their identity offensively. Bentley had a tremendous day throwing the football. Too much talent between Edwards and Debo Samuel on the outside. You just don't have a skill defensively to match up on the Vanderbilt defensive side of the football. So uh, big win for South Carolina, though. Like we, we've been talking about, Kentucky is fighting for that number two spot yeah. in the SEC East. And, and South Carolina has a lot to prove to make sure they, they, they sell the, the, the number two dog up there. Certainly do. Jake Bentley, Debo Samuel, and Rico Dowdle. I mean, that's a pretty formidable, I wouldn't call him a three-headed monster, but they've got talent on the offensive side of the ball, and if the defense can just put it together like they did against Vanderbilt, South Carolina will continue to compete in conference, and you know, games like the South Carolina and Kentucky game will certainly be interesting next week. All right, cool. So... We're looking forward to a great week five in college football. Check back with us on Thursday as we get you ready and primed to go. Aaron, I think we should probably get a guest on this week. That'd be fun for our listeners, and we will take care of everybody as week five is right around the corner. Follow us at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Aaron is at AaronMurray11, and I am at DrewButler13. For Aaron, I'm Drew. We'll talk to you on Thursday. See you.